This morning, guys, I'm so excited. We're so excited that you guys had decided to worship here this morning, that you guys decided to join us. If you're new here, um, I, I hope you feel welcome. I hope somebody talked to you at least and loved on you a little bit and cared for you because we do care about every person that walks through that door. And I'm so honored that you choose um, to be able to be here today as a part of what God's doing in this place. And I know what I know, what I've seen with my own eyes, and I can say I know it because I've seen it, it gets better and better. It gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better. Because uh, when we started meeting in a, in a karate school a couple years ago, I was like, man, it can't get no better than this. This is awesome, right? This is great. This is awesome. And then, you know, you, th you think we got around about 40 or 50 people in that karate school, and I, we saw people getting baptized, beginning to worship in there, and we were like, yeah, this is awesome. I was like, man, it can't get no better than this. This is great. And then we met at a school, and now we're here, and God's just moved and moved. I'm like, it can't get no better than this, but he keeps proving me wrong. So I'm like... The best is yet to come, right? That's what I keep saying to myself. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And so I, I, what I know is God's doing so much, and I love just knowing that as we continue to follow Jesus, that our best days are always ahead of us as we follow him, right? And that's what we need to look forward to as a church. No matter what, as we follow Christ, our best days are ahead. Our best days are ahead of us, and we get to follow him into the future to see him glorified and to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you're here and you haven't gotten involved yet, if you've been coming a few weeks and you haven't gotten involved, you say, well, I like this church a lot. I, I want this, this to be my home. You haven't gotten involved. Guess what? Time to get involved. It's time to, to stop putting it off. It's time to get in the game, get in the game, or, or and this is the thing. If, if you're just coming here, or I, I don't even care if it's here, just get in the game somewhere at a church where you feel like you can get invested in the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be here. Somewhere, get invested because God has put specific gifts in your heart and in your body to be used to build up the kingdom. And we believe that if you're born again, if you're a Christian in this place this morning, the disciple of Jesus, then God's given you a very specific set of gifts to be used to build up the church and to encourage the body. That's scripture. And I think that the church is, is more than just a pep talk on a Sunday morning service, man. Like, we were meant to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus into our communities. And that's why Jesus put his spirit inside of every believer who is a Christian to be able to be his hands and feet throughout the community. So it's not just Jesus doing it. It's people that are filled with Jesus doing it. And there's a lot more of it right? And it's awesome to see it spread out because what I know is Christ in you is powerful to carry out the mission you were commissioned to carry out as a disciple of Christ. And, you know, if you aren't a disciple in here this morning, you know what? That's okay. You know, that's okay. You can be before those services are. You can be. We'll talk about that in a little while. But we're, what we're doing this week, we're continuing our series called Disciple for two more weeks. And you know what? We're going to extend this sucker as long as we can because us grasping Disciple, what a disciple is, is so important to the body of Christ, is so important to the life of the church, but it's also important to your health and your walk with Christ. Because it's, it's been too long that we've followed Jesus at a distance, kind of like Peter did on the night of his crucifixion. We've followed Christ at a distance for too long. It's time we follow him close. And a few weeks ago, we started this series, and we said a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone who's being transformed by Jesus, and has, been jo has joined Jesus on his mission. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Evaluate yourself. Are you following Jesus this morning? The second thing, are you being transformed by Jesus as you're following him? And the last thing is, have you joined him on his mission? If you can't answer those three things, there's a disconnect somewhere, and we should talk, man, because we believe that this description of a disciple is going to play itself out in the life of a, of a Christian in three different ways. We've said uh, that person is going to be a servant, that person is going to be a worshiper, and that person is going to be a missionary. We've talked through those things for the last seven weeks, and we've spent two 
weeks per topic talking about what that looks like because we wanted to be very, very, very detailed on what that looks like in Scripture. And so and here's why I think it's so important is, is you know, I think it's, it, we can never, ever, we can never, ever settle for, for our comfort. We can never, ever settle for just enough. We have to start opening in our minds and our hearts to this topic of discipleship more and more. I have to start opening our hearts because I think we'll all agree over the past few decades, the church has witnessed incredible growth. Can we say that? You can see the church, there's church plants everywhere. There's a church here, there's a church there, there's a church. On Highway 80, there's, there's 14 churches within a mile and a half. Like, there's churches everywhere. Like, the churches have been boom, right? But what I've noticed on a large scale is there's been a, a lot of growth, but not a lot of depth. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of church grow, churches everywhere, but not a lot of depth. And the key is discipleship, because what I see is the churches, the church growth has been wide as the ocean, but the depth's been as shallow as a puddle. And that's what I see whenever you see somebody coming against the church or coming against Christ or coming against missionaries. People in the church have a hard time defending the faith because they've settled for a seeker-friendly type atmosphere and they don't have any depth in Scripture to be able to fight against the devil. And it's important that we have a depth to our knowledge of who we are because last week we looked, at, we looked in depth at Acts, Acts 1, verse 8, and it says this. It says, but you will see power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it brings me to a very troubling question to ask myself this week as I was looking through the scriptures. And it says that it's a question that every disciple in this church, in the, in the body of Christ throughout the world, has to ask themselves and has to wrestle with. Has to wrestle with. Did you see that verse in that song? It says, come wrestle us and win. That means we're submitting to God like Jacob. Uh, you wrestle with God. That's great. God wants you to wrestle it out. He wants you to work your faith out. He wants you to fight against it so that you can be sanctified and made whole in his presence. Right? That's what I feel like God wants us to come to him and be real. But listen, if the Lord Jesus, this is the question. If the Lord Jesus, in Scripture, he's, he's the Lord. God has placed him above all things all authority in heaven on earth, if the Lord Jesus himself has commanded every Christian to make disciples and, if, and to be his witnesses in all the earth, then why isn't everyone doing it? You know what I mean? Like, why isn't the church incredible disciple makers? Does that make sense? That's a big question, right? That's a hard question to answer because it's like, well, crap, Michael, you make me feel like crap now. Like, look, good, because it's meant to challenge you. Because if we're not, if we're looking at Scripture and saying, hey, I'm a Christian, and we're looking at Scripture and we're not doing what it says, that doesn't make sense. That, there's, there's something that doesn't make sense with that. And, you know, uh, what, what is keeping our churches from being these thriving communities of disciple makers? What's keeping us back? What's, what's holding people back from, from associating themselves with Jesus, from making disciples of all nations and starting with this town? What's, what's holding us back? What's holding us back in that way? Why don't we have... Why do we have to have those uncomfortable conversations when somebody says, hey, who are you discipling? It's like, I don't know. You say, I don't know. It's, it's uncomfortable for, to have those conversations because we've kind of neglected that command in Scripture because it makes us uncomfortable, and we don't know how to do it because I don't know enough about Scripture yet. You know what I mean? Or any other excuse we may try to come up with. And how are we able to skate around the questions like this and still believe that we're in God's will and just go back to life as normal? How are we able to do that? It's called self-deception. You can talk about it in James. You look, look, look in James. We've deceived ourselves. We've looked in the mirror, and we forgot what we look like. 
because we've read the scripture and we haven't done what it says. And this morning, as we dig in, as we read this a little more, I want to tell you, following Christ is hard, man. It's easy, but it's hard because it requires you to die to yourself. And as we dig in this morning, my heart for you guys is that you'd get real with yourselves this morning and that you would evaluate yourselves where you're at. Where are you really at this morning? Where are you at on this? As we read Scripture, we're going to be in Luke 9 if you want to turn there. Um, if you want to, as we look through Scripture and we read what Jesus says, as he says, follow me. As he shows us the, the, the requirements for following him. As he tests our faith. As he teaches us about faith. Where are you at this morning? And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into Luke um, verse 9, and we'll start in verse 51. So God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for loving us, Father. I thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would just set us free from our pain, our shame, God, our sin. God, the condemnation that tries to come against us, I pray that you would just cast it into the sea. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. God, we... We're thankful that we don't have to do life alone. God, there's somebody here this morning that has a heavy heart, God, who's not saved. God, who's being deceived by the enemy to believe they're saved when they're not. God, if somebody doesn't have a relationship with you this morning, I pray, God, this morning they would be brave and bold and have courage to take that stance and take that next step and to follow you, Father. Lord, there's somebody here this morning that's stagnant, Father, who's been, who's been stale in their faith. I pray this morning that today will be the day that they step up into their calling, Father, what you've called them to be, God that you would just give them boldness and courage in that. Lord, we love you. Lord, speak through your scriptures. Speak through every single word that comes off this page into every heart in this room, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go in verse 51 first, and we're going to go all the way to verse 62. And I want to read verse 51 through 56 for some context, and then I want to read verses 57 and 62 for our teaching today. Is that okay? So we're going to read some context, okay? Uh, verse 51 through 56, it says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus re resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, that resolutely can be translated also as set his face towards. Set his face towards. It means he was adamantly going because he knew that's where he had to go. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? My man. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and the disciples went to another village. First of all, um, I, I sent a text to Eric this because I was sitting there and said, man, did you ever read this before? These jerkers think they could call down fire from heaven. They, they believed they could and they know they could because they knew who they were in Christ. I'm like, what in the world am I doing? You know, and so like, I'm like, do you think about this for a second? Like that, that is amazing that they, and no doubt they were thinking about Elijah, right? Well, no doubt they were thinking about the power that Elijah had to stop the rain and call down fire from heaven because God showed himself faithful against the prophets of Baal. And so what I'm saying is these people, James and John, they're no different than you. They're, they were people. They were full of the presence of God because the presence of God was sitting in front of them. They were no different than us. We are part of the same body. We're a part of the same church. We're a part of the same discipleship body of believers. No different. And so they believed who they were in Christ, and they lived in who they were. A lot of us in here this morning forget who we are in Christ because we, we're so focused on the, the mistakes we've made. We're so focused on 
who somebody else has labeled you as. We're so focused on um, the, the, the lack of, of ability or the lack of, of, of know-how to stay in Scripture because we haven't depended on Christ to keep us there. And so what I want you to see this morning, man, is Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to these places. He had ministered in Samaria before. He'd been accepted there before. He'd loved on women there, a woman there before. The, all these things, there's so much that you need to see here. But at this point in time, Jesus was being rejected on his way to the cross. So as he was setting himself out to do the will of God, he was being rejected. As he was doing, as he was doing the will of God, he was going out and saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, no matter what the cost I'm in, he was being rejected. He was being turned away. He was being spit upon. He was being frowned upon. And he was being abused verbally by the people in this town because I believe that he was trying to come against Jesus in this moment to try to deter him from doing what God has called him to do. And discipleship. All right, let's move on. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, after they had been rejected, after they'd been turned away, after they'd been hurt, after they'd been, their, their, their pride had been hurt, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, I'm just thinking, I'm, I, Jesus doesn't, probably doesn't talk like me or act like me, but I'm just thinking that in my mind, this is kind of what Jesus was thinking. Like, really? You th- really? He goes on and says, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he goes on and says, he said to another man, he says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of debate on whether this man's father was really dead or if he was dying. And so you can, I think it was probably his father was ill and he wanted to go back and wait on his father to die, one, so that he could bury him, and two, so that he can collect the inheritance. So there was a double meaning there, they, some scholars believe. Um, and so you think about that. And then Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm like, Jesus, you're being a little ridiculous here now. This is crazy. Listen, but listen, what he's talking about, the actual real translation in that, it says, let the spiritually dead go bury their dead. You are alive in Christ. You go proclaim the kingdom of God until, it's, until, until at the end. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And so at this point, this man comes up. I'm, I'm assuming he was an earshot of the first two guys. And like, I don't see why he added the second part in there because he knew he was about to get a Jesus juke or something. You know, it's like, but first, let me go and bear my... Yeah, no, Jesus replied. He said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so this, these are hard words, Right? These are hard words for followers of Jesus. These people were actively wanting to follow Christ. They had seen the miracles. They had seen him work. They had seen him heal. They had seen him walk on water and and feed the 5,000 and do all these things. They'd seen him love people. They had seen him just loving the nation around him. And And they saw this and they wanted to be a part of it. But when Jesus said, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I grew up with a, a farming grandfather, and I used to—I literally had one of those little hand plows. You plow, believe it or not. And like, if I look back, guess what was going to happen? It's going you know, to have some—it's going to have some bad rows, right? But let me tell you, even more than that, what that means is if if I'm looking back, that means I'm more concerned about what I've already done than where God has led me. I'm more concerned about where I'm coming from, what I've already walked out of, and what God's delivered me from, than what's in front of me, what God's leading me. And what that does is it discredits the value and the worth of God because I'm more concerned about what I left. Does that make sense? 
And that's what he's saying here. And that's what I want you to see. And so what we have to see in this passage is that Jesus is, has just predicted his death a second time. And in verse 43 to 50, the disciples are still like, what? I, don't, I still don't get it, God. I still, I still don't understand. Uh, what? You're dying? We don't get it. Is this, like a, is this another parable? Is this another riddle? Because this is getting weird. You know, I don't know. You're dying. And like, you're the son of God. You're the one who's going to redeem Israel. And what this reminded me of is a condition that I actually have, okay? Don't laugh. You can laugh. This condition that I have that a lot of you don't take very seriously, but I believe it's a real thing in my life. I have this rare condition called FOMO. Um, if, who knows what that is? Everybody knows that? Okay. It's, it's real bad, guys. It's called the fear of missing out, Okay. Fear of missing out. And if you know me, um, I, you know that I just had uh, uh, twin babies. Well, my wife had them. I was just there. Um, even, <laughs> even worse than that, even worse than that, I think I've passed it on to my beautiful daughter. Me and my wife are always feeding, um, we're feeding our, you know, our kids at nighttime. Anytime this girl is eating or she's trying to get her to sleep, she's always trying to look around, make sure she's not missing anything. If she's sitting in, on the living room floor, she's like looking around trying to make sure she's not what was that noise over there? Is that, is that, you know, she's trying to find something. She don't want to miss out on anything. She wants to see it all. She wants to do it all. She wants to, to experience it all. She wants to see everything that's able to be seen. I have another boy. I have a little boy. This is him right here. Okay, he's, he's, uh, listen, that boy right there, he, he don't care about nothing. He just wants to wrestle and play and he wants to sleep when it's time to sleep, and he wants to eat when it's time to eat, and he, he don't care. He don't, but my daughter, she has that mentality of, like, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out. You know, listen, the, can you get back to Chloe real quick? <laughs> listen, I, I'm, a, I'm in big trouble. I realize that, okay? Um, a little disclaimer, if you have sons in here, I'll go to prison with a smile on my face. I'll let you know that. <laughs> listen, but I also, I also have, you know, I also have to remember that, you know, I'll, I'll fight sleep. I'll, she'll fight sleep. I'll skip meals. I'll ask a thousand, if you know me, I'll ask a thousand questions. I'll get all up in your business to make sure I'm not missing out on something, right? If you know me, you know, mm -hmm, that's right. You, you're nosy, right? I'll do, and so the, what that is is I, I don't want to miss out on things. And so for me, sometimes this means I struggle with following Jesus. What it means is because I always want to know what's coming, I ask a thousand questions. God, what's next? What do I need to do? What's your will for my life? God, read the word, Michael. Okay, I, I want to know more. And I assume way too much about everything it means to be a good disciple sometimes. And I stink at it most days. But here's what I know is that God is always doing more than one thing in everything he does in my life. He's always doing more than just one thing than everything he does in your life, always. God is always doing more than you know and more than you can see. He's always doing, everything that's come in your life from a tragedy to an encouragement was not, that, that wasn't just a, a single event in your life. It affects so many things. He wants to use those things for so many purposes. In every event of your life, in the life of this church, in the life of the city that you're in, the state, this country, this world, God is doing, always doing 10,000 other things that we don't even know about yet. You don't even know. And the reasons behind every single event in the entire universe, though in the world, the folly of a bird out of a tree, the, the, the birth of a baby, the death of a person, his plans in every single event are 10,000 times more intricate and more perfect than you and I know. 99.9% .9 of God's specific purpose for, for our lives is usually hidden from our eyes. 
That's why we live by faith and not by sight. And we read in Luke 9 here, just a second ago, we see, very, we see three very unusual you know, potential followers of Christ. We see three, three very unusual encounters with people. And to each of these men, Jesus says something very hard, right? But he's saying the same thing to us. But we must listen and we have to hear and we have to understand as we set out to follow Jesus. If you're saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, Jesus says, oh, really? Well, let me tell you what it's going to cost you, right? You say, hey, I want to be a disciple maker. Oh, really? Well, let me tell you what it's going to cost you, and then you let me know if you really want to follow me. Because it's the, there's, there's scripture after scripture about the cost of discipleship. And we've been in a seven, eight week this week, a series about discipleship, what it means to be a servant, a worshiper, and a missionary. And we talked about the vision of our church to go to the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus is telling us today, oh, really? Well, let me tell you what it's going to cost you. But let me tell you something, everything we do in this church, every person we reach for the kingdom of God is worth it. Every ounce, of, every ounce of work, every ounce of sweat, blood, and tears that happens is worth it because Jesus is worth it. You look in verse 57 of that, of that same chapter we just read, a man tells Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you everywhere. I'll follow you everywhere. Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's saying, man, you want to follow me? You might not have a place to sleep. You might not have a home. You might live in China, and you might get ripped out of your home because you believe in Jesus, and you, you, meet, for your, you meet in church. You might be put in prison because of it. Are you, you ready to follow me that far? Verse 58, he says, Jesus, he does, he does the calling this time. He says, come follow me. Come follow me. He says, follow me. The man responds, Lord, first let me go bury my was father or mother. Father. I put mother in my notes. <laughs> Um, and so to which Jesus replies in verse 6, he says, let the spiritually dead, let the dead go bury their dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's saying there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. And there's, there's somebody in here this morning who's like, well, man, that's kind of harsh, man. That's like, what my mom died? What my dad? I don't think God's saying skip your mom or dad's funeral. It's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's getting to the heart of these men. He's getting to the heart of who they are. He's not saying, skip your mom and dad's funeral and go evangelize. That's not what he's saying. He's getting to you the heart of the matter here. And then verse 3, it says, the third guy come up for discipleship. He says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and tell my family goodbye. But to this, what Jesus responds to in verse 62, he says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. And some context for this is we said earlier there's more than one thing that God's doing in all these passages. And we have to remember back in verse 51, right? Back in the earlier verses that we read that there's some serious tension happening in this place. There's serious tension happening between Jesus and these guys, Jesus and the disciples, and they were making their way to Jerusalem. I'm sure Jesus' flesh was starting to feel some anxiety or some tension of like, I'm going to the cross. This is, this is it. This is what I was made for. This is, where I was, this is what I was born for. And like verse, verse 51 says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, I said earlier, early, other verses say he set out, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And what that tells me is Jesus had no second thoughts. He had no questions about what his mission was on this earth. It was to make disciples. It was to proclaim the name of God and see God's glory reach the ends of the earth. And he knew where he was going and, where, and why he was going there. 
He knew why he was going to Jerusalem. He knew what was happening. And I think his humanity and his, and his spirit were in full mortal combat. His, his humanity and his deity were like, there was some tension there. And look, you look back at verse 53 for a second. It says, he was on his way to carrying out the will of the Father. It says the people rejected him. He was on his way. He was making disciples. He was saying yes to Jesus, going to the cross, and the people rejected him. It says they did not welcome him. And this little detail wasn't put here in Scripture for accident, by accident, I don't think. I know it wasn't. Every word, every word is put here on purpose. And I think the lesson we need to glean from this is if you join Jesus on the mission, if you join Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, if you join Jesus in discipleship, in evangelism, in generosity, in being in community together with other believers, then guess what? You may not have a place to stay. You may be rejected. You may be turned away. You may be looked down upon. You may lose a job because of your faith. You may lose income because of your faith. You may lose a family member because of your faith. Jesus says, listen, follow me means you're dying to yourself. You're carrying your cross, and you're following me on the way to Jerusalem. This is not preached very often because we like to talk about things that are, that are easy and easy to swallow. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it may not always be comfortable, but what I can promise you, and so many people in this room can promise you, it will always be worth it. It will always be worth the price that you pay to follow Christ. And I'm not talking about following him at a distance. I'm talking about getting up on him and following him step for step, on his heels, following him wherever he goes, doing whatever he says do, saying, yes, Lord, I'll go, saying, yes, Lord, I'll make disciples, yes, Lord, I'll make your name famous among the nations. And can you see from this story how discipleship and the church culture we grew up in kind of clash? Can you see that? I grew up in a Baptist church. I tell you that every week probably. Um, and, you know, listen, I wasn't taught discipleship. I didn't get discipled until I was 30. And I was like, what's discipleship? Now, I heard about it, but I know what it was. I read about it. I was like, what is that? And so this man took me in and started discipling me. I'm like, this is amazing. I want to do this every day. And I started doing it, and I fell in love with it. Because Why did I fall in love with it? Because I was walking in step with Christ. I was doing what he called me to do. And in that discipleship, God produced his calling in my heart. So out of discipleship, my calling became known. And that's how discipleship works for every certain person in this room. Our calling is, made, is, is affirmed in us, and it's always worth it to follow Jesus. And so it, you see discipleship. In church culture, how it clashes in our, in our American culture, it's different. It's wrong. And what I know is our human nature, what it does is it comes together with the American dream that we've been taught, and it teaches us how to lean away from discomfort. We lean away from discomfort. If it's uncomfortable, we walk away from that. I'm not having that conversation. It's awkward. I'm not going there because it's weird. I don't know. About, that just makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't, don't want to do that. But the Bible teaches that discipleship and following Jesus is normally not easy or comfortable. It's usually pushing against our comfort zone because what I know is you have to leave your comfort zone to step into your calling. You have to leave your comfort zone to step into what you were made for. Without, without that stepping out, you'll never ever walk into the, to the fullness of who God wants you to be. And so let's look for a second what Jesus says and what he meant by what, what he said. He says, follow me. He says, follow me three times in here. Or is, 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 follow me. He says it here in Scripture. Follow me. What does it mean? The word follow, it, it occurs three times. And Jesus is saying, 
follow me in this context. What context? What he's saying is he's using points to two. He's pointing to two things in that word. There's two words. There's two points. Right? Follow me. There's follow me. Me. Follow me. Then there's follow me. Follow is the action. Me is the person you're following. Right? There's an action and then there's a person. And what that looks like. There's Jesus. There's Jesus. That's the me. And then there's follow. That's the mission. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And Jesus is the me that's making the following easier. If you were following me like Michael, it'd be hard to follow Jesus. You got to follow Jesus, follow him, and it makes the following easier. Because he's the one that gives us our strength. He's the Holy Spirit. He has the Spirit of God that he's put inside of us. And there's, there's Jesus, and then there's the mission. Jesus makes the following easier. And then Jesus says, what does he say in the Great Commission? I will be with you always. I will be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. And let me ask you a question. Do you understand that, what he's saying? Do you really, does your mind get what he's saying? I will be with you always. Right now, tomorrow, this afternoon at lunch, next week, in the bathroom later, in the shower, <laughs> vacation, um, on a mission trip. I will be with you always until the ends of the earth, always, to the ends of the earth. So my question is, why does discipleship seem so hard if the divine nature of Jesus is living inside of us and he himself is with us as we're making disciples? Why does it seem so hard? I'll tell you right now, it's because we're still living through the power of ourself and not the power of him. We're still depending on ourself and not depending on him. We have to understand, why would Jesus say, I'll be with you always? Why would he say that? Think about that for a second. Because he knew that it would be hard. He knew that following him would be hard. It's easy spiritually to follow Jesus. It's hard in the world to follow Jesus because you're going to experience pushback. You're going to experience persecution. Our country is getting to the point where you will experience persecution in this country for following Christ. It's getting to that point. And you will see it in your lifetime, I believe, fully. And why would he say that? Because it's hard to follow Jesus in the real world. Following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is hard on the flesh. And if we're living in the flesh, we're always going to quit. But if we're living in the spirit, we're going to be encouraged and our life is going to be blossoming and blooming into what God has meant for us to be and our flesh is going to fall away. That's why Galatians 5.16 says, live by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's why Romans 8 talks about the clashing between the spirit and the flesh. That's why the whole entire Bible, there seems to be a constant clash between the flesh and the spirit. Because it's a constant battle for every single person. And this is why I think Jesus was doing here in this scripture is what he continues to do in people in this room is he's teaching the disciples. He's teaching the people that are asking the questions, but he's also testing them. He's testing them. What, do you really believe? Do you really follow? Are you really going to follow? He was teaching them the cost of discipleship is high. The cost of discipleship is high. And he was testing them to see if the greatest treasure in their lives was Jesus. What's the greatest treasure in our lives today? What's the greatest treasure? They said, I will follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, really? You love me? You treasure me that much? Here's what it'll cost you. Here's what it'll cost you to follow me. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here it is. Are you really going to follow me? I'm with you always, but are you with me? And what he's doing is he's testing to gauge how much they actually treasure the you 
in the I will follow you. He's here and I'll follow you. But he's saying, really, I, maybe you think you'll follow me, but if you don't treasure the you in that statement, you're not going to follow me. And by telling them what he's doing, and what he's doing is he's telling them that the follow has a cost. The me is free, but the follow has a cost. And this is exactly what Jesus is offering you today. You and every seat in this room, he's offering you today and every time we come together to share in the reading of scripture, the worshiping together, the taking of communion, the honoring of baptism and prayer. He's doing the same thing in this body. He's saying, follow me and partner with me in the mission that I've started so many years ago. Follow me and join me. Follow me and join me. But this is what it's going to cost you. Deny yourself, deny yourself, die to self, pick up your cross and follow me. Do we understand what that means? Have you ever stopped to think and thought about what he's saying here? Listen, who is saying this word? Who is saying these words? Have you ever stopped to think about it? The creator of the universe, John 1. Read Colossians. He created the world. The world was created by Jesus' hands, by him and for him, is what it says in Scripture. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who holds everything in his hands, the, the one who, who the Bible says is, is from everlasting to everlasting, the, 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 the one who lived a, a perfect life or, or, or has a or triumphant over sin, and he's, he's perfect in all things, you know, in Jesus you're going to find everything that your heart right now is seeking and to fulfill it, to honor it. And you find love that went so far as death in pursuing you and pursuing me. And what I'm telling you right now is that when Jesus says, follow me, this Jesus is the one who says, follow me. This Jesus is the one who says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will, I will show you things you can't imagine. Follow me. But my question today is can we wrap our minds around what it means to follow Jesus? And have we begun to think about that in the terms of our heart? Because what I see, whatever has control of our heart has control of our lives. Whatever has control of that has access to everything else in our life. And you don't think, you know. Like you, now, you have to know who Christ is and what he's done in your life. And what I'm saying by this is, the point of all these words that Jesus is saying to these men, the interaction that he's having with these different people in Luke 9 is not to create more law, not to create more, uh, more stuff that you abide by, not more checklists for you to jump into. That's not what he's doing. Not to create more laws for them to follow. Give your money. Give, move to another country or hate your family and follow me. That's not what he's saying. The point of what Jesus is saying is he knows your heart better than you do. In this room, Jesus knows your heart better than you know your heart. He knows our heart this morning. He knows what was, has, has your heart. He knows what idols that you struggle with. He knows what sins you have in your heart that you worship over him. He knows, Jesus knows exactly this morning in your heart what is competing for affection with him. And he looks every one of us in the face, and he does it every time we pray, every time we come in Scripture, every time we worship, he wants to look you in the face, and he sees right through to your heart. He sees past the mask that you put on to try to impress people. He sees past the, the, the fake attitudes that we put in front of people and say, we say, how you doing, man? You're like, I'm all right. Well, no, no maybe you're not. He sees past all those things to the heart of the matter. And I want to tell you something this morning. Let that sink in for a minute. 
That he knows all those things. He sees past our fakeness sometimes as humans. And if you, this is what I want you to see really bad from the scripture, is if we don't love Jesus and treasure Jesus more than anything else in this world, you cannot be his disciple. That's a hard, that's a hard word. That's hard to hear for someone who's not following Jesus. That is excruciating to hear for someone who's following Jesus on the fringes. That's, that's hard to hear. It makes the person nauseated for, uh, for the person who's religious. It, it's hard. But for the person who knows Christ, it, it, it's, a, it, it's freedom and, it's, and it's, it's life. But Because our, our culture has taught us to hear this with the wrong tone. Like you can't follow Jesus unless you love him more than anything else in the world. Our culture has taught us to hear that. Well, you know, that's too extreme. That's, that's yucky to say. You know, we don't like the, we love the idea of our families and our kids. We love them, man. But that's not what Jesus is saying again. The reality is this whole entire concept is incredibly freeing. It frees us up to live for him. It's because I'm going to tell you this, and what you don't know, and the reason why some of you guys in here this morning are struggling, the reason why we have people that come to this church every week that have frowns on their faces or just walk like this, is because they haven't surrendered because there's freedom found in surrender. There's freedom found in surrender. The things that you're dealing with, we talked about a few weeks ago, every spiritual problem in this room is because of a small view of God and a lack of surrender in our hearts. Because when we see God for who he is, the only response that we can possibly give is surrender. God, I give it all. This is it. This is it. This is, this is for you. And the idea, and this is what I want you to hear too. Please hear this. The idea that following Jesus will take away from everything else we love and experience is another symptom of a view of God that's too small. It's a lie of Satan, and it's a symptom of being immersed in a culture of religion. Because when we treasure, when we treasure Christ above all, when we love Christ more than we love our spouse or our kids or our money, it's then and only then are we able to understand and experience a truer love for our spouse. It's then and only then are we able to experience more love and patience with our kids. It's then and only then are we able to be more responsible with our time and our treasure and our talent and the things that, that, that are put in perspective becomes more clear. I see it now, Lord. I see why I give. Man, you're so generous to me. I see why I love my wife because, Lord, I was meant to serve her. I was meant to love her like you love me. Man, that's what a marriage looks like. That's what it's supposed to be like. Man, my kids, Lord, I have a better perspective now of how much I make you mad because my kids drive me crazy. Lord, have patience with me, please, right? That, that you, you see that, Lord, I, thank you for your patience and not wiping me off the face of the earth so many times, right? You think that's where your mind starts going. You start becoming more patient and loving when you start having a clearer picture of who God is. But what our culture has done to our minds is make us think that we have control of our relationship with God. Like, I'm in control. Thank you, thank you for loving me, God. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I appreciate it, but I'll get back with you in 20 or 30 years when I get done doing what I'm doing. You know, we think we run things in him. We think we run things that, that benefit us, and then we run away from the things that don't. Like, if it benefits me, God, you save me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go over here and do my thing now. You know, and we run away from the things. Discipleship, I'm going to go over here for a minute. You know, it's, it's hard. No, I'm going to run away from that. But what it's done is it's put us in the place of Lord. We've placed ourselves on the throne instead of being on the cross. We've placed ourselves as Lord, and we've diminished Jesus 
to some weak man who was beaten and died for us, and now he only exists on some stained glass window somewhere. That's what our mindset has put him at. And that's why a lot of churches love talking about a Savior, Jesus, but they struggle explaining and, and applying the Lord Jesus. Because you don't have the Savior, Jesus. None of you do unless you have the Lord Jesus. If, if Jesus is not Lord, he's definitely not Savior. It's biblical. Read it. I'm telling you. The Lord Jesus, I tell you right now, he leads this church. He leads the big C church. The Bible says he is the head, and guess what we are? We're the body. You ever thought about that? He's the head. He's the, he's the thing that, that, that creates motion and movement in the body. And if the body is rebelling against the head, guess what? It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Listen, we have to obey where he's calling us to go. And what Jesus is saying in all these scriptures that we're reading here this morning is that what he's saying, and he said it throughout scripture in countless places, he's saying unless, you, unless we die to ourself, unless we take up our cross, we cannot be his disciple. Hear that. It's completely impossible. It's not like, well, I know he can't, but maybe I can. Maybe I can be his disciple and not die myself. Maybe I don't have to give away this stuff. I'll keep this stuff over here. Right? And so if you think about that, it's literally like me being able to dunk a regulation-sized basketball goal or throwing a 100-mile-hour fastball or, or making the Atlanta Falcons football team. It might be a better, I don't know. But um, there's, there's no possible way, there's no possible way any of that can happen right now in my current condition as a body. Right? I cannot jump and dunk a basketball goal. I can maybe get two inches off the ground. I cannot throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, maybe 60. I cannot make the Atlanta Falcons football team. They would laugh at me. Right? Those things are not possible. And what Jesus is saying here in Luke 9 is if our, if our greatest treasure in life is not Jesus, as we try to follow Jesus, then it's going to be impossible for you to be a servant, for you to be a worshiper for you to be a missionary. Because you know why? Because you'll be constantly looking back to religion to satisfy your soul. Because you're going to try to white-knuckle it. I'm going to serve at church. The kids kill me. I'm going to give them my money. I don't know about doing this because I don't know if I have enough money to pay my time. You know, I don't want to go to a missionary. I'll go on a mission trip because it's awesome. Everybody's going to look good and thinking I'm awesome. And then you get there and you get by TC flying and you come home on a stretcher. You know, listen, let me tell you, you don't, you don't have the energy to go and do those things unless you're doing it full of Jesus. You can't do it. If he's not your greatest treasure, you're going to crash and burn as you try to do the religious thing. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. As you try to serve, you can't be a servant because you're still trying to serve yourself, even in serving. I'm not going to go good about myself. I'm going to go change a diaper. I'm going to go say hello to somebody at the front door. It's going to be great. Even under the disguise of service, service projects or connect groups, we try to, we're still trying to serve ourselves as Jesus and our treasure. If Jesus is in our treasure, guess what? Our worship, if he's not our treasure in worship, you'll always resort back to self-worship. Let me tell you what self-worship looks like. You're coming in here on a Sunday morning, Jesus is far away from your heart, but you're singing these songs to get a goosebump. You're singing these songs to feel better about yourself instead of lifting the name of Jesus high. You're remembering who he is and what he's done. That's what it looks like. 
We try to, we're trying to build our own kingdom and our, our own retirement, making, making us comfortable and trying to comfort our lives here and there. And, and you know, we, either, we worship Jesus in vain in those moments, and you don't understand in those moments that he is enough for all those things that you're looking for. And he is all that we want. He is all that we need. He is all that you're looking for and more and more. If Jesus is not your treasure, then a missionary, I'm going to tell you right now. I'll, let me tell you. If, if you're not, if Jesus is not your treasure and you go on a, and you're trying to become a missionary, first of all, you're going to do more damage than you're going to do good. You're going to hurt the kingdom of God more than you're going to help it because you're going to give somebody a false gospel. You're going to give somebody a gospel that's centered on self and not Christ. And you have to hear that. Because what it's going to look like is we'll be too busy working on our own mission to see clearly the path that leading, leads to God and leads, God's leading us in. We'll be desensitized to the mission of God and its urgency, and we'll inevitably, where, we'll be wherever we're thinking he is leading instead, we'll be leading ourselves, and we'll be intentionally moving away from God instead of towards God. And so this morning as we're talking about this, what does it look like to follow Jesus wherever he goes, like it says here? What does it look like to be a servant? That means I'm so enamored by the love of God in my life, how he served me by dying for my sins, taking them from me so that I can live a free life. I'm serving because I, I get to serve. I'm serving because I want that person in the front door to see the smile on my face and see the eye contact that I have with them. And I want them to know that Jesus loves them more than anything in the world. I don't care what they've experienced, what they've gone through. I don't care where they've been. I don't care what they've, who they've done it with. I don't care any about that stuff. I want them to know that Jesus is bigger than all those things. I, they have, that's why I want to serve. If it becomes tiresome, oh, I'm getting burnt out, Pastor. I'm, okay, maybe you shouldn't serve ever if that's your attitude. Listen, let me tell you, serving for the Lord is so special because you're literally being the hands and feet of Jesus. You're literally being used to build the kingdom up. Worshiper, let me tell you, somebody that's a worshiper, I tell you, this past weekend, I, I was able to sit in the back of the room and watch our men worship. There were guys on their faces worshiping God. Why would a grown man put his face on a filthy camp floor? Because he honors God more than anything else in his life. He wants that, he wants God to be glorified in every area of his life. And so he's pouring out his soul before God, saying, God, take these thoughts, take these desires. God, take my marriage and make it new. God, take my church and build it up. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done here. God, I'm desperate for you. I'm pressing in. I need more of you. God, please come. That's the desperation that worship requires. That's what it looks like. The worship, having Jesus as our treasure, moving forward in that way. What does it look like to be a missionary? God says go into all nations, baptizing, teaching things that, that I've taught you. That looks like going into your city, into your state, into the world to share the gospel of, of Jesus with people. And what that means is I've been so enamored <coughs> by the gospel. It's changed my life so much, I can't shut up about it. Because God has loved me when my worst. God has seen my sin and still chose to die for me. That's something to talk about. Look at what God's done. Not what I've done. Not what this church has done. Look what God has done through Jesus. I'm telling you this morning, if you don't treasure Jesus, if he's not your greatest treasure, these three things, making disciples will be impossible for you to do. And that's what Jesus was saying to these three guys. Are you really wanting to follow me? Am I your treasure? Because if I'm not, you're walking on dangerous ground. And this morning, I want to give you three or four quick things 
of reasons why we don't make disciples, and they're real quick. And so if you're right now, you better write fast. First thing is we're spiritually lazy. Our culture has made us spiritually lazy and spiritually fat. I'm not sure about you guys, and I can tell from experience. When I'm in shape, which is very not very often, when I'm in shape, I'm going to tell you what. I can breathe better. I can play sports better. I feel better. I sleep better. I feel like I have a better relationship with my wife because I can think better. I can talk better, and we can have communicate better. Everything just feels better, right? But when I'm fat or when I'm out of shape or whenever I'm just like hadn't been running for a while or hadn't worked out for a while, guess what happens? I, I walk up some stairs and I'm like, it's kind of like, give me a second. Give me just a minute. I need to breathe some, right? Or, I'm, or I, 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 I sit down and I eat too much and I'm like, my wife wants to talk to me. I'm like, I need to take a nap. I just ate 17 pieces of pizza. You know, it, kind of, it becomes so, we become lethargic. It's the, same, it's the same way when we're spiritually out of shape. We become spiritually lethargic. We become spiritually lazy. We become spiritually just kind of on the sidelines like whatever. It's just, I don't know. We start becoming complacent. We start becoming passive. And guess what happens when we start being passive? Our influence is destroyed. Destroyed. Next thing, you're, you're too distracted by the world. You're, you, want, you want your money, your retirement, your house, your car, your big family, your pool, your stuff, your land, all this. But you also want discipleship, missionary, uh, servant. You want to you follow Jesus and everything he's called you to do. But you also want this. And guess what ends up happening? It's, it's tug of war. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. We get so distracted by the world, we can't focus on the mission of God. That's why some people in here don't make disciples. It's because we're so distracted on the back and forth, we can't make disciples. Because we can't focus on anything. Number four, this is a, this is a big one. No, it's number three, sorry. Number three, this is a big one. Um, you're unsure of your salvation. We're going to start a series here after Easter. It's called Saved and Secure. It's going to be talking about the security that you have in your salvation. And what assurance does in salvation is it gives you boldness and courage to be able to speak the gospel with, with clarity. And so what happens when you're unsure of your salvation what you do is you get in this cycle of day after day, year after year, trying to earn your salvation by trying to make up for the lost years. I, I get, ah, Lord, take my heart, make me whole. God, I just want to, we get saved like 10 times, baptized like 17 times, and we just go through this motions of like, am I really saved? <coughs> am I really saved? I don't know. Let me, let me go talk to the pastor. Let me go talk to my discipleship leader or my connect group leader. I don't know. And you feel like you have this never-ending cycle of just trying to please God. But the, the thing is, is listen to this. If you're always trying to make sure you're saved, you'll never, ever, ever, ever be able to walk in confidence and assurance of your salvations, which makes you effective in disciple making. And the last one, this is the hardest one. This is what you have to hear this morning. A reason why you might not be making disciples is you might not be saved. You might not be converted. You might not be born again, a new creation. It's one thing to believe. James says the, the demons believe and tremble. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to repent and believe with your heart because the believe word in John talks about relying on, to cling to for salvation, to, to press your entire weight into who Jesus is. It's repentance and belief. And if you haven't experienced the gospel, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't effectively give the gospel away or make Christ fully known. You can't. It's impossible. And so this morning, you know, one thing I want to always make abundantly clear in this church is Christ is worth every single ounce of energy that you give forth in making him famous. Colossians tells us that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says that he is the firstborn over all creation. 
God became flesh. God became flesh so that we could be freed from the power of sin and death and be able to live in Christ and carry out the works of the kingdom. See, Jesus made famous throughout the earth. He is worth it. He is worth it. He loves you to the point of death. He loves you to the point of death. Uh, verse 62 that you looked at a second ago, it says, No one who puts their hand to the plow <coughs> and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And what this means is, I told you a second ago, you can't plow a straight row while looking backwards. You can't serve Christ if you're always second-guessing your value in Christ. You can't, you can't serve Christ and always be second-guessing the value of following Christ. Is Christ worth it to you this morning? And if, he, if you're saying yes, then is your life lived that way? Is there things in your life that are pointing to that and saying, yeah, you're right? Because let me tell you, looking back means that you're longing to go back to what's comfortable. When Christ is leading us away from what's comfortable, he's pushing us off into the sea, into the uncomfortable, the uncertainty, because he's the one who's certain. He wants us to depend on him for our certainty. That's why he pushes us into uncomfortable waters, so we can cling to him for life. And I'm going to tell you this morning, divided hearts are not useful in displaying Christ. Divided hearts does not display a, a worth of Christ. My heart, my heart for you this morning is a question. Do, have you settled that in your heart today? Do you know who Jesus is? Are you following him? Because I promise you it's a life or death decision you make to follow Christ. It, is, it comes with a price. Have you decided in your heart today that Jesus is worth it? If you haven't, please make that decision. Stop playing games with your faith because Jesus is worth it. And he's more real than anything you can spend your time, your treasure, and your talent on in this world. He's more worth any of that. And so this morning, my heart for you is this. If you don't know Christ, that today will be the day of salvation for you. Because Jesus came to earth and lived a life that you couldn't live. And he died a death that you owed. So that you didn't have to live in that torment forever. And what he did is he took your place. We like to say around here, it says, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. And listen, what that means is he took our place so that we can live in God's presence forever. If you've never trusted in Jesus in that way, if you've never walked that out, if you've never flushed that out in your heart, if you don't know where you stand in that, my heart for you this morning is that you would come up and pray with one of our prayer team members. There's going to be people up here, and I, I want to I share with you this morning, and I, God was bold in his death and his resurrection for you. And I want to ask you to be bold this morning. Guys, and I want to tell you what, the way that you know if God is pulling at your heart, the way that you know if God is trying to, to, to push you into this relationship with him and drawing you, drawing you out of your comfort zone is your heart usually going, I don't know about this, man. I, whew. There's, there's some, the thing that feels like is anxiety is usually the Holy Spirit that's drawing you to himself. It's drawing you to himself. And so if that's you this morning, if you never, ever, and I'm not saying raise your hand in church or pray to prayer, that doesn't save you. If you've never walked into a relationship with Jesus where he is your Lord and he is your Savior, and you want to do that this morning, if today is the day of salvation, I just want to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. I want to literally pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning? Awkward moment, ain't it? It's great. Okay. Well, if that's you and you just, you're too scared to raise your hand, let me tell you, there's people here that will pray with you until they're blue in the face all day long. We're going to sing one more song before we leave. And let me tell you, this altar is open. 
This altar is open. These people are going to pray for you. They've been praying for you since you got here. So don't, don't waste this time. If you need to lay something in this altar this morning, if Jesus hasn't been your treasure and you want to come to this place and say, Jesus, I need you to be my treasure, Father, please come and take away the things that I put before you. One of the things we talked about this week, it was like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it says shedding off the things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles. And what our, what our speaker says is it's one thing to turn from our sins, but it's another thing to look to Jesus. We have to turn and look to him. Turn away from sin and look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. And so if you haven't been looking to Christ in your life, come do that today. Come get that right. Let me pray for us and you come. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, I pray that you, Father, would just come in this place and heal hearts. God, change lives. God, make us new. Father, restore hearts, restore marriages, restore lives. God, we just love you. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.